Hey everybody, welcome to the Crowd Sunday stream. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Mike Jex, hi. Yeah, to restart the stream because the last time, um, every time we try to go on to, um, or like, I, I play music, sometimes Twitch like just mutes. Even though like the music that I have has been cleared um, by the producers who made it and They've done their best to uh, make it so there's no weird sample issues. And we still get some weird, weird problems with those mutable stream. And it's like kind of a, <laughs> I don't know, uh, Remy and I were doing a test the other day and it just like muted our entire audio of just us talking because there was some like hold music from like Skype or something in the background. I think it just like, like took it off the air. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to use 808s anymore. Nope, 808s are strictly prohibited on Any Twitch. 808. All of them, everything. <laughs> you can't use the uh, air horn. No amen breaks. Oh no, amen breaks. That's like every song ever. The damn, I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah, it'd be weird to see like how they like slice certain things because like I don't know. There's a lot of like just random samples that are everywhere. That like I'm like, how are they? How do they keep track of like that? You know that one, it's like in every like future song, it's like wee! like it's just like this weird like like uh like siren almost, but it just kind of like goes off into yeah. space. Oh if you if you heard it you would you would know what I'm talking about. But it's just there's so many ones I'm like, what like how is this uh you know like how is this actually tracked of whether or not it's a copyrighted song or not? It's the same uh, with um with a lot of electronic music as well, like rave stabs are basically anywhere from like the 1990s to like the late 2000s. I don't even know about now, but like, you know, that type, type fucking yeah. type shit. I don't know. It's like every <laughs> single fucking techno track ever. Right. Uh, well, welcome everybody. Uh, we're here. Um, Twitch watcher count got messed up on the stream. Do not just a zero, even though you have people watching. Um, but hello, hello, hello. Um, we don't have Jason Scott on tonight. <laughs> so I saw that the Twitter card also said that it was the episode 14 with Jason Scott, but this is 14.5. And so we're just going to talk about like old internet stuff. We might've found projects that may have started because of our episode last week and like that. But yeah. Um, I don't know. How's everyone doing today? It's Monday morning. Kill me. How about you guys? <laughs> I've I've been uh, doing that Google capture the flag this weekend. How's that been going? Fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty. It was, it was pretty hardcore. Um, it was, it was yeah. 
I guess I don't, I don't really want to talk about it. No, it's fine. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's looking forward to the write-ups. I'm looking forward to write-ups, yeah. See, all those, like, bigger, the bigger CTFs, like the, like, Google, FireEye, like, all, like, the really, like, hard ones, those ones are, like, I don't even know. Like, I remember when I was doing, like, the Flare-On one last year, there was some person who was just, like, every single time they defeated a challenge, they would post about it on Twitter, and they would say, oh, I, I beat challenge, like, eight or whatever. And there's at the end, they were just like, I didn't use any tools. I just used static analysis the whole time and just looked at, like, the, like, object dump and, like, other sorts of tools. I'm like, what? Like, you didn't do any, you didn't, like, fire up, like, Ida or Radari 2 or anything. You just did hex dump and everything. Like, it's just weird. I don't know. There's some people that are on there that just, that's all they want to do. And it's just, like, crazy to think that, like, there's people who's, that's their whole life, you know? But it's, it's cool, though. If you're, like, a really awesome, great diverse engineer. That's sick, but it's definitely, it's hard to, like, uh, draw comparisons, I guess. You don't want to, like, be like, oh, well, I suck at CTF, but you're also not, like, a PhD researcher who studies, like, binary analysis. At the same time, though, like, I have a bit of a problem with a lot of CTFs, um, like, because the the problems that you're given are often problems, like, they're obviously problems made to solve, but they're made often made to solve in only one way. Mm -hmm. So... It's like a it's like a puzzle book, right? You open it up, and there's an there's an answer to the puzzle, and the, it's like this is the path to the answer. Whereas, like in the real world, a lot of the time, you know, there might if there's one you know buffer of or like there's one you know um, null pointer or whatever, like you just, there's probably ten. I don't know. Yeah, right. No, because you look at it and you see like oh, you find a whole class of bugs within something as you're doing it, and a lot of the times like people who design CTF stuff, especially like binary CTFs are like, they already like have everything locked down as well as the fact that a lot of compilers and other tools that just you use to build shit like that is actually just already implementing stuff that, you know, used to, like in a production environment, somebody might accidentally turn off something and then you realize that it's like, you know, that's where your ticket in is, but, they just lock it all down and they say, okay, so there's one single, you know, buffer overflow or one single, like, heap overflow you have to, like, actually do something with. And um, so there's also a lot of the, the like, straight, like, I, I think it's cool that when they do have, like, malware analysis type stuff where, like, the one that I was looking at for Google CTF for a second, like, I saw, like, you know, what it was doing and similar techniques of, like, you know, creating a bunch of wrapper functions to load everything like from the data section and just like continually doing that. And like, I didn't end up falling down the whole like rabbit hole of how it works, but just seeing how, how like the people implement like some like stuff that you wouldn't also see if you were like trying to crack like an actual program or something to make, make a key gen. Yeah, at the same time though, like like I was working on this uh, key gen for this .NET thing that's like, it's, it's like some legacy code. Mm -hmm. um, and they do like this crazy thing where it's like, oh, they get like the hard drive IDs and like they get like they, they query it in a weird way and then they pull it out, then they format it in a weird way, and then uh, they use like a really weak RSA key. Like you, you can basically it's like one knob and then that's it. Yeah. Like you know, it's like it's all this weird stuff that's that's obfuscated and you gotta reverse to figure it out, and it's like one knob, game over. Yeah. No, it's definitely interesting. I mean, I like reading write-ups. Um, I didn't do it before, like, really read into what people actually did. I kind of just, like, did what I was going to do and just played with it. But 
seeing how certain people solve certain problems without doing what they were supposed to do was pretty cool. Like actually, Jin, I remember was talking to you, read me about something that they had, he had just done something like, I don't even know. It was like completely different from what you did, but you guys both deduced the same answer, which is like cool to see like how different techniques actually work. Yeah, no, he he did it the right way. I did I did it. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's like definitely. I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot to get into, and I'm I'm like. I definitely need to start doing a lot. I was talking to DNZ earlier saying that I need to do a lot more CTF stuff like now because I, I don't want to like lose the skill set that I've been building. But yeah, so what have you guys seen from uh, the, um, I guess, how do you guys react to the show and what sort of cool stuff did you find from the archive or text files or anything? Anything you want to talk about? Uh, there was one thing I saw that was pretty funny. It was actually just a bit before the show, but, um, so there's, uh, I, I like to occasionally troll conspiracy theorists. And, um, one of the things that I wanted to incorporate into my connected conspiracy to give some theorists some mind blow was, uh, some evidence of Russians using, uh, cloud seeding to create <laughs> chemtrails. What? So, yeah, but like I, I was like, I gotta find a link to like cite this. Like I was like, I gotta find, and the, all the sites that were, that were up were dead. Um, there was no like news articles about it. Permanently dead links on Wikipedia and stuff. And like through the archive, I like found something that I could use as a random ass citation on a ridiculous conspiracy theory. It's pretty funny. That's sick. No, I, I honestly like. I don't even think about it. I've I use the archive like so much. I've I've gotten so much. I meant to tell Jason about this, but like a while ago, I had figured out some some stuff to using like a Raspberry Pi and and Cody. Um, I believe it was Cody that I used for this. They had I ended up putting everything in a Dropbox, but there was like an Internet Archive channel, and I made like a playlist of of like old TV shows. And so there was a bunch of like like in an old folks home. Um, I was able to help them like set up a thing where they could watch like like old old TV episodes from like the fifties and and the commercials as well and just do like a randomized playlist of this kind of stuff where they would just be like oh like here's a commercial for like you know cornflakes from nineteen sixty one that you might remember you know but it's cool to see like you can just literally like stream that kind of stuff and it's all like comes together in a way that like you could just make like curated playlists like that for people especially. I think it's really cool for older people too, like really old people who might be like stuck at home and, you know, not able to see, you know, they don't really know what's on the internet and uh, being able to show them like, Hey, you can actually like look up like old stuff you might remember and it might help you like actually, you know, especially dealing with memory issues and things as well. So it's cool. It's really heartwarming. That's, to see uh, that's interesting because like in, in Australia, a lot of the that content is actually unlocked. So like, um, if you want to buy a season of a popular TV show, an Australian TV show from like the seventies, it's like mm -hmm. 140 bucks a season. And there's like, you know, like five seasons to get it yeah. on DVD. And mm -hmm. It's like, it's ridiculous. And you can't find it online anyway. Like I've checked, I've checked the piracy channels. <laughs> I've checked the wares. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, it would be nice to to have some sort of archive service like that, but uh, the content is still owned by you know people who actively uh, look for their content and have it taken down. So it sucks. 
Well, I mean, like, I, I suppose they're in the content, which is fine, but I mean, the pricing doesn't make it very fair. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. It's it's just weird. We're just, you're saying a lot of stuff about people like linking to piracy stuff as well, but it, it's just like it's a, it comes into a gray area, especially with like I don't know, like really old stuff that like there's no way to even get a physical copy anymore, and it's just like annoying when you like can't actually you know look at something that you know exists, but there's no way to actually find it except for like pirating it. But then it's still somehow owned by some like holding company somewhere. And you're just like, why? Like, you're not going to give me support for it. You're not going to give me any legal channels to even get certain things, you know? So it's kind of annoying. Yeah, it's like there was a... Um, so one of my favorite, like, cyberpunk-type sci-fi games of all time that if anyone hasn't played this, go play it, like, as soon as the show's over. It's on GOG, it's on um, Steam, and there's updated patches for it. But System Shock 2, like... Yeah. There's actually this patch. There is a patch for System Shock 2 that was created using the original source code after, like, the company was dissolved and it was, like, you know, the rights were, like, bought out by whoever and it, it was, like, you know, no more development could be done on it. Mm-hmm. And then on some random French forum, there's, like, a compiled binary that's definitely patched from the original source. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just, like, oh, just, it's like, just in this random forum, like, click here to download. Yeah. Awesome. Like somebody somebody finally did it. I was watching um I was watching a video this morning actually that I I really want to try to get. Um I don't know if you guys know uh LGR, like lazy game reviews, but he's this guy who's been on YouTube forever and he like uh he he reviews like he has every like DOS game ever. He's like just madman of collecting and, and history and he like does a lot of stuff with um like he does like uh, reviews of like really obscure like old hardware, those like computer accessories and like all sorts of stuff. But he did a couple episodes on a uh, on like different DRM and things and like seeing like how like there's like games that they used to have like specific like uh, like one of them was like a a thing that you had to like use this little like lens to be able to decode some message on the screen and then type in what it says. But you have to have like the specific like hardware lens. That you use to like actually read the um, the code on the screen, and like it would be impossible to play the game now because not everybody has that thing anymore, and there's no like predictable sequence of what it actually is because it's just like randomly generated. And then there's like other stuff where you'd have to like look up in like a guidebook, but if the guidebook was lost or if like it you know something happened at all, you know you wouldn't be able to actually play it in the future. And so then like finding like full box DOS games being People definitely took a bit more care of like computer games back in the day. Um, like, oh yeah. But um, not having like the manual renders these things like unplayable. And there's like certain specific like like hardware dongles and like weird like you know. Especially actually, I saw this other thing he had too of like suicide batteries that were in like uh, like um, like hardware boards for like arcade games where the whole game would be loaded into RAM, and then if the battery like was in it, like the battery had to be in the on the board and like active and like having actual power to pump to the ram chip um to be able to like have the game work so if anything happened to like the battery like it would be like the whole game would be destroyed and like unplayable so it's just like it's weird to see like all the different things that people have done for it uh, for like you know copy protection and then it just sucks to see that like that actually destroys any sort of 
possible way for people to like understand like you know what games people used to play or like even like being able to do anything with it because like they would have like these weird measures that would just screw up the games completely. There was a first person uh, RPG like dungeon crawler that I used to play called Stonekeep that was released by Interplay. And um, one of the sickest things about that game, besides being like first person and you had like left and right hands and like when on your clicks and like you had your party and like a mirror and like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it actually came with like a, like a, a short novel. Uh-huh. And that was like mad because like now if you if you played that game now on like an emulator or whatever you wouldn't get the book with it and uh, like Interplay did that with a few games as well they did it with uh, like Redneck Rampage came with a local newspaper article uh-huh. um, that was like in the in the setting of the um, of the game which was pretty funny yeah like, yeah oh, that's cool uh, yeah, there's a lot of like extra content that you got by buying you know the buying the game rather than just just uh, having a copy of it. Yeah, there was some other interesting stuff too that they were doing with, with so they would have like physical copies of things that you would need to reference for in-game stuff, but some of them were like made so that you wouldn't be able to scan them. Like there was one of them that was like, it print like dark blue on like dark red paper or like white ink on white. You could only see it in like a certain light and you wouldn't be able to actually scan them. So it's like it's just like it's crazy to see the obfuscation techniques that used to be like in place to like prevent people from pirating. Like even the most like arbitrary like game, like there weren't like big franchises, but just like regular games that have this weird, crazy like DRM attached to it. But it's definitely interesting to see like how the like the I mean it makes perfect sense. It's like always been the battle of pirates and, and things, but just the fact that like there's that it, it renders your game like unplayable for people to actually enjoy, except for in a very limited period of time. It's like kind of blows. Was it? I think it was June where it was like uh, open the manual to like page twelve, and on the seventh line, what is the fourth word? Yep, that's that. That was exactly what he was talking about too. I I don't remember anything like that because I didn't play PC games like that when I was younger. Um, but it's interesting to see like what actually um, it means, you know. Like, or like how people actually implemented those kinds of things. But yeah, so we were going through a bunch of um of like NFO files, um, which are we realized that people actually have been making them for a while. Actually, Shell, you had found and dumped all those um, PSP NFOs um, from I forget what site it was, but it was pretty sick. Yeah, it was pretty neat. I was blown away by some of the art in there. Yeah. Like there was some really incredible art that I've actually I'll post the link to the the gist that I made about it because it was it's I don't know it's awesome. <laughs> so um I don't know anything about uh, Newsnap, but if you know anything about Newsnap, then uh, when you click on an article, um, so it, I guess for people who've never used like Newsnap or anything, it's it's think of it as like your torrent indexer, but for uh, using that, and uh, when you if you click on an article, it'll actually have like view the NFO, and when you click on it, it'll show you um, like the ASCII art rendered properly in your browser. So like the groups doing releases are still still getting ASCII art, are still requesting ASCII art, all kinds of like it's pretty sweet actually. Yeah, um, hold on, I'm trying to help uh, Sentry real quick. Um, but yeah, no, honestly, like, 
so I it's always like surprising to me that he will actually still make a lot of ASCII art because there's I always feel like it's like more and more obscure. But then seeing like I guess in the more like I guess like CD channels or people are still doing wares like and and releasing cracks and things like those it's just it's cool to see that people are still like competing with each other to make the most badass like NFO files. Um but you see like a lot of it like that's why I started making those figlet fonts was because I'm not seeing like many figlet fonts actually being released at all. Like most of the figlet fonts have been in you know have been there forever. Like they've just like literally just been there since the early nineties, maybe even late eighties. Um and they've just been using those and, and you see them in like, you know, people will do text files of like, you know, whatever um and you see the same font like oh that's like cosmic or that's like the elite one or you know that's ansi shadow like you just can tell exactly yeah. what font they are and you're like it's it kind of makes it kind of boring because then you're just like you look at it you're like oh you use this like stupid font like everybody uses like everybody uses like you know cosmic you know for like the weird like leech shadow looking one um, oh, there's uh, the graffiti one that has like the it's just called graffiti with the angled like yeah letters and shit or yeah. ogre like yeah those ones they see all the time like acid and, and whatever acid or acidic I think is uh, I used to use it in my MOTDs and my boxes like yeah yeah no it, it's definitely cool but it's just like I wish that like there's still more of a scene of that so what we were trying to do is um and I'll show you, I'm gonna grab this from our coach to posting channel um the like trying to actually make um an index of all of the um nfo like text elements because there's like a bunch that are just i don't know they've, they've been sitting in, in text files for years people are probably aren't going to see them anymore um but here if we take a look at or anybody who's watching it's in the chat now um this gist just here that i made that's um just psp stuff that we found so these are from like psp crack sites but there's some of the best ASCII art that I've ever seen in here. There's like ones that are full like anime girl, giant dragon, like crazy logos, and you're just like, who made this? Like who sat there and made this in like 2001? Like, yeah, it's funny because they're like relics of a lost age now. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, and it's it's funny because I was talking to some of my friends about it who were just kind of like tangentially into like pirated th like pirating things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even back like we were in high school and whatnot, and uh, I was like, I was showing them this art, and I was like, "Where the fuck did you find this?" I was like, "Literally in the NFL files that you guys never opened." Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So one of the things about the NFO files as well is that uh, at some point Windows decided to make the default association system information, and so everyone who double clicked on it saw it like it just it was like can't open this file, and they were like, oh, "Okay." Super, super next level hidden. Yeah, yeah. It was funny too because, like, literally, like you couldn't unless you like actually like thought past that. Like, there was a barrier to even seeing it there for like normal people who would never even think. I like you see the like if you ever looked at the comments on a torrent site. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know that you're not. Not dealing with uh, any next level computer users most of the time. <laughs> like Adobe Photoshop cracked. Please, does this work? Help everybody, help please, somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need product key. 
this this crack for Windows says it has virus. Uh, <laughs> can anyone confirm? Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, get a get a volume lessons key, my friend. I'm uh, I'm right, I put a link here. in the uh, in the Twitch chat. Uh, Jason Scott's documentary. Um, that part. It's like five or six called the art scene. Yes, yes. the history for that uh, ANSI art. It's really good. Yeah, oh, no, is that, that what? Sorry, what you say? Is that that way they had them on display being rendered at the original board rate, like on uh, like portrait TVs? In this, in that section of the documentary, he actually um, interviews like uh, acid and ice. Uh, uh, the groups and and they just talk more about like the culture like the back and forth competitions and in the, the art scene and stuff like that and you see yeah, definitely super stressful sounding some of the stuff that they were doing they were like talking about how they like like acid specifically and a bunch of other groups like were all in like supreme competition with each other because they like really really wanted to like make the best stuff and it it made them really like productive and creative but it was like such serious business for them because they were just all like competing to make the best art packs and you know put the most you know banger pieces onto there um but it was definitely cool to see um we were actually herman and i were watching some art shows that were about that thing so you were mentioning mentioning dnz the um people like putting them on like monitors and just scrolling them in like an art gallery. It's like so cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I definitely like, I don't know. I always want to like get into making stuff like that. And just like, there's like tools and things, but it's, it's like the whole art, I guess, like the, of being limited is, is something that's really kind of still foreign of like being limited to like 80 columns. Like that's it. And you have to just draw everything 16 colors and, and know exactly the like specific, um, like characters that are gonna like make the best shading and mixing and stuff like that, and it's just it's cool to see though, because like mixing like different uh, shading blocks with foreground and background would produce different like illusions of color. It's just cool. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say as well. That and the combination of bold, uh, like bold and reverse as well. Like you know, yeah, like stuff like that. That's crazy stuff. Yeah, it's just really cool. Like definitely a lot of graph paper is involved in making that kind of stuff. Um, what was the uh, what was that tool called? Is it called the draw? The Pablo draw. Like just just the draw. I think oh. was the name of the name. I'm of not sure. Of I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen anybody actually make it. Yeah. No, it's definitely a lost art in a lot of circles. It almost reminds me of like some of those things that people would uh, make in like Mario Paint and that kind of stuff. Even still to this day, mm -hmm. it's just become like this this thing people do. Like another one of like lost arts, you could say. Dude, Mario Paint had some had a music editor that was dank. That's all I'm saying. Like some MIDI dankness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and it's like people like made like oh uh, never gonna give you up in Mario Paint. That was the thing. And like there were rig rolling people using Mario Paint videos. I was like, this Damn. is next level. Like <laughs> the composition. There was uh as well, like so like I used to have this thing for my Atari that was called a Compumate. It was like a keyboard and it used both controller ports and a cartridge. And you could 
produce like mini music you could write basic you could do like a bunch of stuff on it like that's that was like so like mad obscure like thing that I, I don't think i've ever seen anything produced from that but yeah i don't know like i didn't know i was too young to know how to use it at the time and i had no one to teach me so it was kind of like i feel like a wasted opportunity it was like mario paint for the atari yeah. Have you guys seen those things that they're literally just like uh, sequencers? Someone like has made programmed a like a Game Boy cart to be a sequencer. Yes, yes, that's a little sound DJ. I have a physical copy of Little Sound DJ on a Game Boy cart, and it's like such an amazing program. It's really good. That's um, I posted a video in um, Many Hats Club the other day. Of I, I used to do a bunch of stuff with with Little Sound DJ um, on a Game Boy, and I did like Countdown by John Coltrane and like some other weird stuff just like on Game Boy, and you can just you know program it the same way you would anything else. But it's just like a a tracker, you know, it's a really really lightweight tracker. It just tracks I don't even know like uh, XM files and other weird like uh, sequencer files. I did something similar one time with um, there's a program called Fami Tracker where you can write stuff for um, like the NES processor. And um, I was able to change it into like convert it into a ROM and play it on this, this modified Nintendo cartridge. Uh, red i think it's called like the power pack but you put it on a compact compact flash disc and you could actually play it on the nintendo and that was fucking sweet <laughs> it's not one of those things like i said i super appreciate people just doing because they can right like it's it's so far from like optimal in any way but it's so neat to see people like still using these kind of things and still making these kind of things i mean it sounds cool man like that that 8-bit that 8-bit sound still sounds just sounds good <laughs> and there's you know the art like what you was saying about the limitation like that's that's what's so cool about chiptunes is because there's that limitation that sort of drives the the creativity that come you know comes out of it and I went to a demo scene party. Uh, there's a local demo scene party here that runs every year. And um, to be honest, I couldn't handle it IRL. I was, uh, these guys were so about that old life that I just couldn't, like, I don't know, I, I drank beer in the alley across the street. <laughs> dudes, but it, it was, what they were doing was really cool, but like, it was just, it was kind of really dingy and like, you know, the, the, the mohawks going and, or kind of, you know that that old cyberpunk style like i respect it but i, I couldn't yeah. uh you know it couldn't be there they make cool things but boy oh boy <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, I'll watch it when they're finished that's all yeah the demo scenes up is like always my favorite like thing that i just have to watch from afar because it's just like absolutely insane to see like 4k demos for windows they're just like how like how do you do this 
<laughs> like an, an empty Word document is 4K. Like, and somehow you fit into an EXE, like a, like a regular executable, just like minutes worth of like beautiful CGI. Like, <laughs> it was always cool as well, where they're like, when Cruz would like be like, you thought it couldn't be done, some sort of like crazy ray tracing or whatever, but yeah. here it is. And like, it's a, it's a sphere that's bouncing and it's, it's like transparent. And then there's like a, like a wobble effect going on a checkered, checkerboard background and then like all this crazy shit and you're like and then it morphs for the next five minutes and you're like what the fuck yeah and like on like that like same sphere it says like and fuck you to all the crews who like said that we couldn't do it at assembly like you know 2002 like it's just hilarious to see like you literally programmed this beautiful thing and it's just like a giant like middle finger to like other people it's just like a lot of weird drama like I've seen it in C64 stuff a lot too. It's like really funny where it's just like this like crazy thing you've never seen before and it's all just like a petty like jab at somebody else. <laughs> What's funny is those the the jabs they're taking it's probably you know, probably driving them to re- do the next like big release kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like diss tracks on the way out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking about that this week, actually, like, um, so the source code for, like, Doom and Quake and whatever's been released for a while, and, um, like, you think about, uh, like, Unity today and what a game developer is today, um, like, there's still stuff that needs to be taught from, you know, Carmack and Romero, like, you know, from the day, and, like, all the other developers, like, the old Atari devs and stuff like that, that were uh, working within limitations, creating all these really good games or whatever, like, you know, visual effects, audio effects, whatever, and then these days it's like, oh, you install Unity or whatever and download um, or the Unreal Engine and you just download this pack that's like 20 bucks and this is like a whole castle town and now you can just make an RPG. Yeah, yeah, and you can, like, just, like, download, like, texture packs and, like, you can, like, download, like, 3D models for, like, Maya and stuff and, and make all that and, like, there's even like paint 3D. You can export like you know 3D stuff on Windows. Like it's crazy that like there's an infrastructure for it now. But even still, like I was looking at like the SDKs for that are like first of all like so huge, and they're like just so much information. And like I remember I was trying to make I, I had the the harebrained idea to try to make a Samsung Gear VR um, like virtual reality terminal that I could just use for, like, whatever, and just, like, lay in bed and just, like, have a uh, have a terminal, just, like, completely enter, like, the fucking metaphorical matrix of just sitting there with, like, a keyboard on my lap and just, or a virtual keyboard, but just, like, any sort of thing that I could use and just have, like, a giant-ass, like, virtual, like, terminal in space. But looking at the actual, like, SDKs of, like, how to do it, it, like, it, the animation stuff that they have with it is similar to, like, all the sort of like the Unreal stuff and all the other like uh, 3D modeling game dev stuff that I had no idea about. So I had no idea how to actually set anything up and like make it actually look good. So it's definitely uh, it's a whole different skill set, but it's not the same kind of skill set as like say learning how to you know implement like you know ray tracing and like x86 assembly. Like that kind of stuff is like we used to be like common knowledge for people, and they would just like make their whole like sort of uh like macros to do that kind of thing for them and then now it's like it's just built in like no one cares about that anymore yeah, yeah like 
just buy more buy more RAM. Get an i7, you noob. Why don't you have an i7 and 32 gig of RAM and like the latest NVIDIA card? Yeah. People were making like what is it? Like like second reality and stuff like that on like literally like the oldest computers ever, like the crappiest computers and somehow making like the best PC demo like ever. Like it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy just like how now with these things, like it's to the point where things are getting so unoptimized that it's almost unbelievable. Yeah, there's a lot of bloat and everything. Yeah, it's like I I just have a shitty like beater laptop and it's like I'm trying to play these like games like pixel art and it's just like there's so much like built in that it's actually like using a 3D like engine to like render these fucking like 2D sprites. Yeah. It's like it's like literally the like least optimal way to do any of this, but it's just like <laughs> how people do it now. I think every desktop is like 3D is like composite rendered like in 3D these days. Every major desktop like I mean, maybe not if you're using like I three WM or like, you know, not straight not straight off um uh XOR, but like yeah. But I mean, like uh, I was, I was using um, what's it called, Compiz for like ages, and then, I mean, uh, now with um, uh, with like Wayland and stuff like that, that's all straight out of the out of the thingy. But you can, there's there's plugins actually uh, uh, on what you were trying to do you for um, having like a terminal with the Oculus Rift. Um, yeah. Like a, it's like a, like a Wayland plugin. It's like just install this thing and plug your Oculus in and install the SDK and do all this stuff, and apparently it works. That's cool. I definitely want to do that because, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I was just thinking about this one day that I was sick, but I wanted to like program something, and then I just wanted to lay in bed and like do it. But there's like no way to like do that without. Making yeah, I tried. It I try to do the same thing on Mac um, with the there's a there's an App Store app actually on OS X, and um, it it basically gives you three virtual screens that you can just look across and just use as normal on uh, Oculus. That's but cool. It only, it only works with like the Dev Kit two, and like it's not not on the latest OS X, and like it doesn't it just like crashes and shit. So. It's not, there's no working version of it currently, but I mean, someone did do it at some point. Why they didn't follow up, I don't know why. It seems like awesome. Yeah. No, I'm like, I don't know. I definitely would look into that. It's just funny though, because like a lot of people, like, still, even like developers and people that I know, like, they don't like even like, try to, like, they avoid like even using like a terminal to like program anything. Everything's just like very like bloated now, like lots of like, SDKs and, and IDEs and just, like other things that you used to actually develop and like it's just weird to think that people like don't open up the terminal as much. Dude, I've I've given training sessions on like um using Gitflow like the like the the Gitflow workflow and like uh I'll start it off and be like all right so who knows how to use the Git command line and like these are like generally web developers that I've given it to, um and they they just look at me like what open the, what do you mean where is it on a Mac and you're like in utilities, like the terminal, but I suggest you don't use that one and you install item two. And they're just like, what, like what typing? Well, can't I just click all this stuff? It's like, well, you can, but you, this is a much easier streamlined way. And there's only a handful of commands you've got to remember. And I'm going to teach you them in the next 20 slides. 
yeah. and then we'll, you know it's like it's going to be really easy you just got to get past the fact that you're going to be typing something into your computer for once yeah <laughs> no, it's definitely weird like i feel like i don't know I, like what like thinking about like the future of like programming and the future of like just development in general i just feel like it's going to become more and more like that unless like it's going to become just more and more abstract like it's always it's be, always has been becoming more abstract but i mean like we talk about like like people who are coming up now who are like we talked about this before like people who just they don't know like how like their computer itself actually works they just know how to like navigate menus basically and like it's just interesting to see like how that's gonna keep going when i mean like who's gonna be the people who are gonna be cracking games in the future you know that you're gonna have to like attach a debugger somewhere you know um, uh, it's all about that machine learning machine yeah, learning crack me <laughs> People will be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I can use, uh, what is it, Apache Spark or Hadoop or some shit, I don't know, whatever. Like, I, I, I can put all these, like, huge memory-hungry, like, cloud services together, and it'll crack, like, a Hello World app. <laughs> but I have no idea how to write a Hello World app. Yeah, and it's funny to see, like, especially because I feel like a lot of people, like, in like, our sort of generation, got into it, right? Because, said, like, my first computer, the Commodore, right? Like, there was no like just plug and play and go, right? You didn't just stick the disc in and it worked. <laughs> yeah, like, there was a. I feel like. As like we get further and further away from that, like people get further and further away from like wanting to know more. Yeah, I um, I was talking to uh, one of my friends, ex-girlfriends, and um, we we'd been drinking or something. She's like, "Ah, oh, did you see this thing on YouTube?" But then I'm like, "Oh yeah, it reminds me of this thing, this other video from the internet." But I don't know if it's on YouTube. It's like from before YouTube, and she was like, "What before YouTube?" <laughs> and I was like, what? what? Yeah, before YouTube. What? And she's like, oh, I don't think I had the internet before YouTube. I was like, holy shit. From when videos were files. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, she was in her 20s. Like, I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's a, that's interesting what Jason Scott said too about um, how somebody had asked when the like time, like what year. We were we had like more information than we could like actually parse, and he said 2006 when like video streaming services like YouTube came into like power, and like it's definitely like true. It's like most things now are just like video based. Even like I find it really annoying um, is like Facebook when you put a GIF, it converts the GIF to MP4. Like everything is a video and everything is just a streamable thing now, and everything so is like. Uh... So does Imager, yeah. sorry, actually. It was oh, yeah, like, Imager, yeah, they have GIF V. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting to see, like, the homogenization of, like, content delivery itself, you know? Or it's you know, what's, really, what? what's really funny is uh, when when the, the video and audio tags came out in HTML, like, what, this... Uh, I guess the uh, transitional phase from four to five is when browsers started supporting them. 
And um, I remember like to this day, I'm fairly certain the only time I've actually used a video tag is for XSS. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's the other thing too, right? Like, I'm talking about how things are just getting like sim more, like simpler and simpler. And at the same time, like attack surfaces are just growing and growing and growing and growing. Yeah. Yeah, and there's like, uh, like all the they're like, oh, we're just gonna add like a billion, uh, like DOM events, like, uh, you know, you like you can add, when you add like autofocus and then on focus, like to a fucking text box or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was a hefty piece of JavaScript back in the day. Yeah, or like you know that everything's actually like sandbox now. Like, <laughs> well, uh, I remember making sites um, like way back. Like, uh, so when writing Java, when having like JavaScript on your page is like for no right clicks and stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw this like uh, hacker site that inspired me. It was um, for it was kind of like it wasn't a zine, but it was just like some info page or whatever. And when you moused over the um, when you moused over the the logo, it it rumbled the page, so it moved the uh, window on the desktop one pixel up, one pixel left, one pixel down, one pixel right, and did that a couple of times so that it would create like a rumble effect. And I was like, holy shit, you can position windows with JavaScript. What is this? What is this like nuts shit? Yeah. And then I was like, well, what happens if I make, you know, the position of the actual, like if I get the screen resolution and then I get the position of the, uh, of the actual document and I place that at zero, zero and then make it the size of the screen resolution. And then what if I use the background of the page, like as a screenshot of a desktop? You know, and then on click events to do stuff, and like it would just be this web page that popped up, and then straight away it full screens itself where you can't see the actual like I think I don't I don't know what browsers it worked in I, I guess Internet Explorer is what I was using at the time, and it, it just full screen the whole thing and people would be like oh my desktop's changed so they go to click on it and then that would trigger whatever event. That's so funny! Wow. Yeah. yeah. No. Reminds well, me like of some old. Huh. What? Nimp. You don't remember Nimp? Yeah, that's probably what I think say. That's the first place I encountered <laughs> like moving browsers. Yeah. Like, Nimp and like there's a GNAA one, I believe, too. Did some shit like that. There was a on. You could there was a there's an on uh, window close maybe or, or on on window out. I think it was. Um, or you could do like a window on blur or something like that for when you when the window is out of focus, and then do like um, window open like twice so or more more than once. So every time you would like try and close or leave a window, it would open the same thing but twice and just like infinitely do that. That's really funny. There's so many like funny old tags and things that like I just I don't know. We were looking at like. If you look at like just really old pages in general, you see like everything's written like first off in all caps, and then second it's like uh, there's like the old tags like like marquee and blink and stuff that just like have gone away in lieu of like things like you know JavaScript stuff that would do that. But now instead of doing like blink or marquee, you're like importing all of jQuery and then you know running a bunch of crazy commands to uh, to actually make it do that. Dude. Yeah. The other funny thing as well is like, so I, I, uh, I worked on this 
so like um what's that thing you know uh coin um the capture thing that's like a mining it has to mine one block before you, mm-hmm. you go ahead i forget what it's called um anyway so like i was looking into browser javascript based uh browser mining um a while ago like 20 maybe 2014 2015 and the way that the uh, threads the javascript threads were handled was basically like you eat all the CPU, you eat all the memory, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then the window crashes was basically the result in like all of my tests. And so I just like abandoned it. I was like, oh, can't, like it's not viable, or whatever. Like not only will you mine nothing because Bitcoin is what everyone was mining, not only will you mine nothing, but you'll mine nothing and crash people's computers. It's not worth it. And now it's like a thing that like people are doing. Like so crazy. Yeah, it was really crazy. Like, so I spent a lot of this past week uh, learning CoffeeScript, um, and I was talking about my woes of that earlier in um, the Discord. And like, it's just interesting to see like how how powerful JavaScript is actually now, like actually is now, and how much like stuff is just invested in it, and how much is infrastructure is built around making JavaScript work really well. And like, I just remember like. I don't know. I never, yeah, we were saying before, like, the only reason you'd ever do it is for, like, alerts and, like, stupid stuff, and there was never really, like, I don't know. There was nothing, like, that crazy, and now I'm just, like, I can, like, execute, like, shell commands, like, on, like, with JavaScript, like, just, like, random stuff, like, that, but just, I don't know. And there's, like, a whole, like, like, CoffeeScript itself is, like, uh, like, syntax around JavaScript, and, like, there's, like, so much more to JavaScript than I ever even, like, really knew. Um, and then going into it, it's just like, oh yeah, so CoffeeScript is here to simplify like this, like event callback and handlers and all this like crazy stuff. I'm like, I didn't even know this was a part of JavaScript at this point, you know? Yeah, I I always say that I wish someone would have told me JavaScript would be useful ten years ago, like yeah, when it was just used for like, you know, just the dumbest like mouse overs like shit, mm-hmm. like like that that's like I had a hard time like. When Node was first became a thing, and JavaScript blew up again or whatever, I was like, "You mean like JavaScript, like that language to like just move stuff around and HTML? Like, yeah. that's a that's a full language now." Like, be careful. I was, doing, uh, <laughs> I was doing a lot of web dev uh, prior to Node coming out, just like. Uh, like I was actually, I was a, like an actual web dev for, for a little while in the time beforehand. But um, the when Node came out, uh, I actually built a financial platform entirely on Node on AWS. And so, thinking about the no right click scripts and the way that people would copy and paste back in the day under construction gifs, like all these like crazy, ridiculous, like stupid JavaScript things that people would do that like only worked in IE and you needed to add like comments uh, before and after, like yeah, like at the at the beginning, the end of your like your JavaScript, so that it didn't execute incorrectly in some browsers, and like all this like weird stuff. And then I went and like spent three years building a platform entirely on Node, and I sort of hate, hate myself a little bit for it, but we, yeah, we move on. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, yeah, still angry. It's like the Node, just like space. But the ecosystem is so horrible, though. Like the whole thing based on like GitHub stars and NPM, it's like it, it's pretty disgusting. But um, yeah. 
it's really popular because it's actually really easy to write. So that sucks. Yeah, that's that's true. I think it's the same thing with PHP as well, right? That's why it was pretty popular is because it's really easy to, at the time at least, compared to Perl. Um, it yeah. seems to make a lot of yeah, I remember PHP, and I remember thinking, I was like, because that was like the first language that I learned. I was like, this is great. And then I learned like literally anything else. I was like, oh, not that great. <laughs> yeah, syntactically it was good for uh, moving into C and stuff like that. But uh, like previously I'd learned um, merc32.exe script, which is pretty funny, making bots. And uh, some egg drop like uh, TCL, which turns out is like the worst example of ever using TCL ever. Um, like I, another funny thing about that actually is like so learning TCL from egg drop, like ridiculous. Like I don't even, I don't even think anybody uses egg drop anymore. I'd, like, I'm not really sure, but um, decoded does. Oh, just decoded. He's the last person. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I ended up uh, doing a job using uh, TCL and expect and like TK for the interface, and um, it was for a, a major, uh, uh, I guess, hardware provider. And um, yeah, I got like flown around the world to run some TCL that we'd written, and it was pretty funny. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I got these skills from Megdrop, sick. Sentry yeah. uh, get his voice back. Um, I don't know. Is it working? Yeah. yeah. I just I just been chilling. I just uh, I saw I I was looking back over at that that first text file that you sent me earlier, man. And I can't even I can't even read it without, without laughing out loud. The dark sucker. What's the the dark sucker? The dark sucker. Yeah, I just I don't know. Had you did you just find that today, or is that something you had seen back back in the day? Yeah, it's one I've seen before, but I can't. I happened to see it again when I was looking through it, and I remembered it was the first time I read it. I thought they were serious, and I was like, "There's no way this person truly believes what they believe about light bulbs." I just, just put the link in the chat there. Nice. Yeah, that, that was uh, was like a lot of troll information, I guess, on the internet. It's like it's like uh, encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia Dramatica of the past, right? Yeah. I mean, like I, I had spent hours, um, and hours and hours on on text files back back in the day. I, I feel like. Probably mo most of us did, right? All all these old text files are like I feel like stuff that everyone has has read. You know, the we were I mean, Century and I were just combing through earlier looking for some some classics. And I don't know. Do you, you guys have you guys have any favorites old text files? Uh, was my favorite like old text file. Well, I shouldn't say. My favorite old thing like that is definitely bash.org. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, uh, yeah. 
It's another one of those things that I just went through the other day after the Jason Scott talk. I just started just dying laughing. Some of the, like, the old classics. Yeah, I mean, as far as it's, uh, it's interesting to see the conspiracy theories uh, text files too, and how they've pretty much the theories themselves have been maintained themselves all these years. Um, I'm reading. I got some about like Bohemian Grove and uh, the Rockefellers and all that. Yeah, I love I love conspiracy stuff um, because like I sometimes like I, I try not to, but sometimes I like to like get the conspiracy theories like intertwined when when and just just for the sole purpose of when you when you meet a, con a conspiracy theorist in real life, which is yeah like happened multiple times and then you're like oh but you know about this conspiracy right and they're like oh yeah yeah, yeah all this stuff and you're like oh and you know about this conspiracy right and they're like yeah 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 you're like well did you know that if you like if you make these comparisons they're intertwined and they'll be like oh like mind blown yeah like, yeah it's then you just like walk away it's funny to me like the, <laughs> the level of critical thinking that some people like it's not like because obviously there's not someone out there who well there are people who believe all the conspiracies but it's like where's like a person's like conspiracy cut off i was like trying to find that when i talk with people about stuff like what's the craziest shit they believe and then what's the, the like where's the line where they don't believe like other conspiracies man i think some you some have you been down holes oh 100 yes who hasn't? Some of the shit that those guys put on YouTube blows my mind. I. Oh yeah, I actually watched a YouTube documentary with my like girlfriend the other night. We watched um a flat Earth documentary just to just to watch it, <laughs> and it was we couldn't like the first five minutes were like yelling at the TV like <laughs> what the fuck. Yeah, some of the stuff like you like yeah, it's so like mind like mind-blowing how like far removed from like sane society you have to be for some of it i had a conversation uh with well was, like a bunch of my friends came back into town i hadn't seen in a long time and um one of them talked about flat earth like and he would not stop for over six straight hours <laughs> It was the most insane, like, trip down a rabbit hole I've ever had in my entire life. He's talking about how there's lands beyond Antarctica that we haven't ever been to because of government conspiracies, like... Yeah, I like the, uh, the ISS isn't in space, it's in Hollywood, and, um, there's space, the, uh, people who are on Challenger, they, uh, they weren't actually on the space shuttle. No one ever goes on the space shuttle. They just send it up there and whatever. It's like, you know, there's like the X-planes, like the X-37B that's like an unmanned, spa like small space shuttle that does like 400 plus day missions, right? Like they already, they have those. Why would they bother with a friggin' space shuttle? Like, why would they even do that? It's all part of the conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, that's just what they want you to think. Like, oh, okay. 
you can tr you know you can track these objects in the sky as they go around the Earth with telemetry data that's on like public FTPs from NASA. No, no, it's faked. The moon landing was faked. Cool thing, man. Like these people, they want to be able to believe that everything that they've ever experienced is some sort of illusion, so they can pretend that that horrible thing that happened to them in their childhood didn't really happen. Uh, that's way too rational for me. Yeah, in a strange way, it's like a coping mechanism. I was in this uh, conversation one night with some free energy believers uh, that believe that uh, that like, and I was just like, you know, that like perpetual motion hasn't been broken, so everything you're saying is wrong. And they were just like, no, you know, you don't understand. Like they didn't understand. Like perpetual motion doesn't mean physical kinetic motion, right? And um. And, you know, like efficiency barriers and stuff like that. And they're just going on and on. They're like, no, but it's like a torus-shaped energy uh, field that's created and it's like fully sustainable. And I'm like, okay, well, how do you get the energy out? Like, how do you make that energy, that you're, this magic energy you're talking about, how do you turn that into electricity that like powers my light bulb? Where do I connect the wires? And they were like, you don't understand. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I always say that it's like, the conspiracy theory route, right? There's like, you could go to college and actually learn, or you could just say you believe in a conspiracy theory and that you're smarter than everyone. Like, there's a lot less uh, time and energy investment in that. Like, that's a much easier way to believe you're smarter than everyone else. <laughs> I think um, Organite, do you guys know I, about Organite? Oh God, yes. So organ energy is like this negative energy field that's blah, 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 all this shit positive and negative energy made up by a guy with a broken Geiger counter. And um, this guy was telling me that he put a block of organ energy next to his smart meter and he no longer got headaches and sick and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. So he's saying that there's less emissions. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, here's this $8 SDR that you can buy on eBay and you can actually measure this output yourself. And he was just like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, for sure. Like never did it because, you know. He's yeah. organized. Yeah, he's got his organite. What more do you need? Yeah, it's just like a big sponge. It soaks it all up out of the air. That's why I'm what sure his cell phone doesn't work. He's <laughs> out. He's being blocked What's by all the organite. It's really crazy. A lot of conspiracy theories are definitely pushed now by people who are trying to sell something too, like selling a solution or making up a problem. Oh yeah, like yeah. Uh, selling those 100%. crystals. Boy, oh boy, I don't know if you've ever seen what they try to sell some of those crystals for, but it's absolutely batshit crazy. Yep, pistols, crystals, crystals. like the quartz. Oh, and the oh, quartz oh. And, yeah, yeah, the shocker stuff. Yeah, how Malachite gets rid of computer viruses and. <clears throat> Like it's yeah, what? Oh, I didn't know I'd gotten that bad. You mean that there's I don't, yeah, crystal oscillators? What? <laughs> Let me find it. Powerful crystals that oscillate at a certain frequency. Who would have who would have thunk? Right. <laughs> Anybody who's like built well, like any differences electronics. There we go, I just dropped it in the chat there. Keeping my computer virus with Malachi. 
Maltite is a transformational crystal that lets you live more intensely under its influence. So we believe that it will become one of the most prized healing stones of this century. Damn. Oh, yeah, they mean it. Place on your desk. Maltite it's healing energy. Some of the electromagnetic pollution emitted by your computer and other appliances. You may have your own personal guardian against viruses that can attack your computer via the internet and email. That's uh, written by a learned scholar. Crystals for business success. <laughs> I'm in the wrong business. Yeah. I need to start selling rocks. And by rocks, I definitely mean like uh, <laughs> natural ones. Yeah. The healing power of crack for cocaine. <laughs> Yeah, I just need to clarify, since this is a stream, I do not mean crack cocaine. There is actually a Family Guy about, uh, uh, no, American Dad episode about the uh, the healing powers of, of crack. Stan has the flu, gets addicted to crack. Pretty good. Nice. Hey, so, um, old shit on the internet. Uh, I mentioned this in the talk the other day, uh, in the, when we were talking to Jason Scott the other day, but we... We didn't go too far into it. Um, has anyone seen this before? The the apology uh, from the the Atari employees who acted inappropriately, and the the document was found apparently, allegedly, on an old like computer that had been bought by somebody else. No, I haven't seen that. Oh yeah, I, I saw when you posted that the other day. Really reposted in the in the chat. That's a nice big long Discord link, but uh, yeah, I, I hope this is real. Like, I don't know if this is real. Maybe they just made up some story, but I like it's. I I want it to be real for like just you know, those crazy uh stories of when Atari had too much money and partied while making drug uh making drugs while making drugs while making video games making video games on drugs maybe yeah. definitely believe it it's knowing it's tech culture now yeah too it was like back like when nintendo there were stories of nintendo like purchasing uh you know like pleasure hotels and that kind of stuff and, like having meetings there and all this other shit Out of the most like family friendly gaming company out there. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking at this article right now about uh, Atari funding a, a porno. <laughs> I believe it. There's a pretty funny um, documentary that is an Atari versus ColecoVision type thing, and it's got Nolan Bushnell and um, I forget the other guy's name, and um, the sort of war they had. It's kind of sad that I forget the other guy's name. I guess he was still, you know, a relevant part of uh, of, of history. Um, but he claims uh, that the Chuck E. Cheese, because Nolan Bushnell also did Chuck E. Cheese, um, that the the mouse or whatever Chucky, he's like that. He he made that character based on his face, and um, he like makes this outrageous claim. And then they they cut to Nolan Bushnell, and they've asked him, and he's like, yeah. I, I did that to like you know, to to make fun of him. Like yeah, that's that's that guy's face. Mm -hmm. 
That's where it came from. I can't remember what that documentary is called, but it's a Atari versus Coleco uh, Vision, whatever. Like, oh man, I'm not that yeah. old. The other versus the other old box. So one of the things that like I just always think about, actually, Herman and I talk about it a bunch too, is like we're speaking completely different subject, but like about just old stuff on the internet is like how flash anything flash based is just completely lost to the like oblivion mm-hmm. and like i don't even know like how people would even like recover any parts of that yeah i remember when making flash uh full screen flash websites was cool and it took like you had like a loading bar and it took like you know two minutes to load but the site was like awesome mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. There's so much like because like stuff that was done in Flash, like I remember playing stuff in like the late '90s. It was like full like 3D game like in browser done in Flash, and you're just like, what? I can't even like access that anymore, you know, at all. There's just so many like sectors of the internet that are just gone because they were Flash based. Like New Newgrounds is still around. I think they yeah. still have all that stuff. Yeah. And um, I don't know about like Ebombs World. Is that still around? Not sure. I think they've. Is Stick Death still around? (laughs) Yeah. I do have a friend who was like, I was talking the other day, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing, uh, it's part like a Newgrounds, like animation challenge. I was like, whoa. That's a a wild thing to hear. Oh, man. Like, a lot of people still use Flash, like for drawing. Did you guys used to watch uh, like Strong Bad when it came out? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, like all that shit, like they came out of uh, uh, Homestar, like you know, um, Teen Girl Squad, and all that. It was, it was like crazy shit. Yeah, actually, it was funny. I saw somebody I know the other day was wearing a limousine T-shirt from that. Such <laughs> an old shirt. It's um, uh, it made its way into like Guitar Hero Two had. Trogdor, the Trogdor song. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I was gonna say, I think Trogdor's gonna outlive us all. Like, <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know Majesty if it came up and bit you in the face. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 like I don't even really because I didn't, I wasn't like in like making anything when Flash stuff was huge. But like, how was it actually? What was it the workflow for that kind of thing? Like, how was it actually like? Hosted and like delivered to people like dynamic flash sites. So, uh, making flash stuff is pretty much those like uh, different scenes and timelines and triggers. So, you would have like keyframes in the animation. Um, mm-hmm. And then to go with that, you also had uh, action script, um, which was similar to JavaScript, I guess, in a way which would interact with different elements. So, you could set, you could use the GUI to make like different kind of um, like animations and then. It would, uh, you could move the keyframes around to change the speed of the animation stuff. Anyway, eventually you would compile it down to your SWF, um, and then you basically had like five lines of HTML that would just dump it in a web page. That's really cool. Yeah, and you could interact between um, JavaScript and ActionScript as well, which is actually a really good attack vector uh, for some points where you would get. Um, if you had, say, for example, um, a Flash player for a video I, was one of the situations I recall, and you could 
uh, create HTML elements that you could interact using. You could like click on those; it would trigger JavaScript action, like an on-click event, and then that would um, feed into the action script. But there was an injection vulnerability, I think, in one of the fields where you would be able to actually where you could inject action script into the like running Flash. And then yeah. you could get like payloads like from that were just for like whatever version of Flash, and you would get like code execution on the machine, like like web JavaScript Flash fucking code exec. Yeah, like, I remember uh, I used it back in the day. Um, just you could just onload redirect, like in like write that in action script. Save the SWF and then just uh, through the magic of the internet, post it on people's MySpace profiles. Yeah, I remember people doing that like a while back, but I never like I didn't know enough about action script to actually make anything work besides like a redirect. Yeah, and so I mean, often like it's an example of like how it was. It you could do a lot of the same stuff you do with JavaScript. Yeah, but um, have it embeddable, this and that. Create a whole, whole new problem set of problems for <laughs> people. I mean, that's that's along the lines of um, so I used to uh, I mean I've I've used this technique before um, where you have like BB code or whatever on a forum and it'll be like oh you can put like an image in your signature or in your post or whatever and then back on your web server config uh, you can go like okay like on nginx like uh, match like star.jpg and then like redirect 301 to like a csrf link or like and then you could um because it was a the, the link was a jpeg you could put it into your post put it into your uh into your your signature or whatever that's pretty pretty fun way to yeah well you could if you really wanted you could make like you could add jpeg to the list of um like with apache the list of Executed PHP files or like CGI bin or whatever, yeah. and then you could, um, you know, just do the send a 301 or a 302 that way as well. Yeah, I remember actually <laughs> back when everyone just used to include everything, and so you just put PHP in a fucking JPEG. <laughs> yeah, that's how uh, Image Shack got owned, was they were using like, um, the object buffer where they where you like are like object start include object ends and then like that's a, you know you have your uh, whatever was um, read at that time in the buffer and then that was the image you output but because they used include instead of you know uh, file get contents or whatever like they could have just used file get contents instead of that whole convoluted way to begin with but yeah literally the, the thing that was made for that <laughs> right Although file get contents, I mean, it's still pretty funny because like that's you still get um like remote file includes, which uh, I guess not a remote. It's not a file include. It's um because it doesn't get executed, but you can still do like SSRFs and stuff like that. Um, because there's like a what is it? It's like uh f open uh, URL f open. I think is the PHP config directive that allows it is on or off. And if it's on, you can use like um stream handlers, um. In your in the file to like open, so you can use like uh, HTTP, or you could use PHP colon slash slash. You can use like base sixty four, like a whole bunch of different ways to um, 
to have those stream handlers read. I mean, I haven't done a lot of that, like any of that for like a long time, but I guess it still works. It's PHP. Also, like there's just uh, image tragic. In that same vein, it was just what two years ago. I mean, image magic's been owned like so many times. Oh, yeah. in so many ways. It's just funny that it's just always just more ways of doing that same thing over and over and over and over again. Yeah, there was like um, when SVG started showing their face on the internet, that was like uh, like XSS or SVG and stuff like that. I think most of that's patched now. I don't know if that's still a thing. I think most most modern browsers block it. Yeah, it's interesting when you get to like blocking thing on the browser level. <laughs> yeah, it's and um, so bad that it's like okay. Well, that's a, one of the reasons why a whole bunch of those old attacks that we were talking about before, like moving windows and on window exits and opening windows and stuff, why they all worked was because the browsers just were like, oh yeah, it's JavaScript or whatever. And uh, and a lot of the these days, like if you uh, you know you can report a vulnerability and they'll be like, oh no, it, the brow like it doesn't work on my browser, like this XSS doesn't work, whatever. It's like yeah, it's because your browser, your like your client is. But that doesn't mean the vulnerability doesn't exist. Like your, uh, you know, just because it's reflected from the URL through your server-side code and then put out into the template doesn't mean that it, it's not a vulnerability. It just means that like you're specifically protected. Yeah. And not the rest of the people that look at your shit. Going through these text files. It's a trip. I just found a weird thing that just happened right now. Hold on, I'm trying to. One second. Did um, did Jason touch on uh, archive or not archive.org, but the Wayback Machine specifically being um, what's the word that I'm looking for here? admissible in court like officially now if you've got material that's been archived through the wayback machine an old blog or something like that uh, we briefly touched on it um didn't go too too far it's into just, it though yeah just it was a, a neat thing that i that i saw there's been a couple of court cases where i mean it's pretty much um I don't know what the lead, it's uh, precedence now, like legal precedence. Yeah, I know that it's, those, uh, I mentioned it went in the stream um, the other night that, that uh, there was a case in Denmark where the Wayback Machine had to be explained to the court in order to show that where this information came from and how it made its way into the hands. You know, it was it, this was public information. It wasn't private information. Like hackers didn't steal it. It was published by the company and all that stuff, like, you know. And because it's not currently 